Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I am a poor miserable sinner, and confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and thus deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent for them, and I pray you for my constant mercy, and for the sake of the holy and innocent self suffering and the death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading of the Holy Scriptures. Our Old Testament reading for this third Sunday in Advent is recorded for us in the prophet Isaiah, the 35th chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. 
the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the, highway, the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from St. James, the fifth chapter. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together now we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the 11th chapter of St. Matthew, these words. And now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to Jesus, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect another? This is our text, your friends in Christ. Perhaps during the past week or so, some of you have seen the familiar Christmas carol with old Scrooge. It's believed by many that this short story by Charles Dickens is one of the greatest works of English literature for the season that was ever written. That fictitious story about old Ebenezer Scrooge, remember who back in 1843 is visited by the haunting ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. And because of what these ghostly apparitions show him, he has changed overnight from a mean and a greedy and a cantankerous old man into one who would bring Christmas joy and who would bring happiness into the lives of others. Though the story is certainly found wanting when it comes to some of the most profound truths of the season, namely the birth of God in the flesh, it is, we would all agree, one of the best-known literary works of the Christmas season. What most people don't know about A Christmas Carol is that it grew out of a very dark and a very dismal time in the life of Charles Dickens. At the time that he wrote it, he was a 31-year-old father of four who, at the time, thought he was at the peak of his career. His novels, The Pickwick Papers, and Oliver Twist and Nicholas Nickleby had all been popular in England, in London. But now the celebrated young writer was facing financial ruin because the last of his novels, Martin Chuzzlewit, that novel that he considered to be the best of all that he had written simply wasn't selling like the previous one had. He had overspent in the past and now in the present with significant debts and his wife Kate expecting their fifth child and a brother and a father who were constantly nagging him for financial help and for a loan themselves, he grew despondent about the future, didn't know what to do. One night on a long and alone walk which took him from his upper class residential area and the London suburbs into the poverty-stricken slums on the other side of the River Thames, Dickens began to panic. Fears of his own childhood resurfaced because, you see, in his own childhood he grew up in a time of poverty. He vividly recalled his own father being in the infamous debtor's prison of London and he recalled how he himself, as a small boy of 12, worked hard for 12 hours a day and six days a week at a warehouse table piled high with jars of black paste that he would attach labels to, an endless stream of pots that went by him, and he attached labels to them for a mere six shillings that kept him barely alive. A childhood full of helplessness, of hopelessness, abandonment, and now years later, remembering those childhood years, those ghosts of the past, Dickens was overcome by doubt, by fear, by despondency. Sort of sounds like John the Baptist in our text for today. 
John the Baptist is suddenly one who had been filled with such hope, is now suddenly filled with fear, and he becomes, because of that fear that was within him, he becomes doubtful of many of the things that have been promised to him. John the Baptist, who apparently was expecting Jesus to be saying things and to be doing things a bit differently than what Jesus was. And so John began to doubt. Are you really the one, Jesus, who is to come? Or perhaps we should be expecting someone else. Perhaps we should be expecting another. Here he is, the very man who even as a tiny unborn babe, remember in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, leaped for joy, Scripture says, when Jesus, still in the womb of the Virgin Mary, enters into the room and he leaps for joy in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. This man of fetal faith, now an adult, a prophet of God even, who doubts, the very man who, as we heard last week, was clad, remember, in camel's hair, standing in the wilderness, shouting out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The man who paused in the midst of all that he saw when he saw Jesus coming down the banks of the River Jordan, and he pointed at Jesus, and he said, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of all the world. That man of ironclad confession and faith, this man whom Jesus himself speaks of as a prophet of prophets and said there has not risen anyone greater than John. And now this man, foretold of old, finds himself doubting, doubting the identity of Jesus. Once confidently confessing, prepare the way for the Lord, now he hesitates and he halts. And he whispers, are you the one? Or should we be expecting another? You know, John knew by heart all of the messianic promises of the Old Testament. John knew every prophetic star that there was in the sky. But now, after introducing Christ to the world, he comes to this point and to this place in his life where he is asking, are you the one? What happened? What brought this giant in the faith to this point of pondering perplexity? What turned this man of iron resolve into a man who sounds like a wimp of wavering uncertainty? What factors playing tricks with his sinful human nature, which he had in common with us all, led John to doubt? Well, there are two factors in John's life that were instrumental in bringing this doubt into his life. Two of the real life factors which are so which are so often instrumental in cajoling our own sinful natures to bring doubts into our life despite all the promises of God that we hear. One of those real factors in life is our circumstances. Where are we at in our lives? What's happening to us at a particular point in time? Because circumstances will cause us sometimes to doubt the very promises of God. Look at John's circumstances. How does the text today start off? It starts off by saying, now when John in prison heard what Jesus was doing. Notice where he was. John in prison. There John is sitting in a rat-infested prison cell that belonged to King Herod. Why was he there? Because he had the intestinal fortitude. He had the guts to speak out about the adulterous affair that the king was having. He had the guts to publicly charge the king with adultery. The charge to which King Herod responded, as one might expect, he had John incarcerated. He had him placed in the prison where in due time 
He would have John unceremoniously beheaded. But now John sits there and he's all alone in this rat-infested cell. Time passes and he begins wondering. Circumstances do that to us. What's to become of me? What's to happen? This isn't what I thought it would be. I was a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, now scurrying rats are my only audience. Silence is my only song. My life's mission, my, my career, my life's goal, everything that I did for the past 30 years of my life was preparing me for that moment and for that task alone, that was it. Could it be over so quickly? Is God done with me so soon? Or perhaps my timing was wrong. If it has been, then maybe I, I misidentified the Messiah and misled thousands of people by calling Jesus the Messiah. Is he the one? Or perhaps we should be expecting another. Imagine the haunting doubts which must have tried to terrorize the soul of John in prison. Doubts about himself, his purpose, his life, his work, and most troubling of all, doubts about Jesus. How the circumstances of life can trouble faith. As it happens to all of us, so it happened to John, and it happens to us at times too. Ask those who suddenly find their financial security in life falling to pieces because they've lost their job. Ask those whose investments turn sour. They find their funds going out, exceeding their funds that are coming in. Ask them if circumstances don't work to play tricks on our faith. Ask those whose homes, once so sturdy and strong when love was young and new, are now being dismantled little by little and piece by piece by struggle and by strife between husband and wife. Sin's circumstances can most certainly try our faith. Ask the man or the woman who's been told that they have cancer or that it might be inoperable or whatever the case might be. Ask the middle-aged mother of teenage children whose husband dies unexpectedly of a heart attack. Ask the parents whose son or daughter is tragically taken from them by disease or by an accident or by war, by an act of violence or terrorism. Ask them if life's circumstances can trouble faith, even as it did for John the Baptist sitting in Herod's prison, asking Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? Faith Another John, the Apostle John, says, is the victory that overcomes the world. But you know what happens when we take our eyes off the object of our faith, namely Jesus Christ, and we start looking at our faith as something subjective, our faith itself, and we look at faith itself rather than the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, then we can easily find ourselves living under life's circumstances instead of above them. Your faith is not in your faith. Your faith is in the object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ who made promises to you and most certainly will keep every promise that he has made. That brings us to the second factor in life that so often leads us to sinfully entertain doubts about Christ. Sometimes we have wrong expectations, wrong expectations of who Jesus is. 
and what Jesus is supposed to be doing in our lives. And so our text says, when John in prison heard the works of Christ, he sent word saying, are you the one or should we be expecting another? What was it that baffled John? It was the works that he saw Jesus do. You know, John, after all, remember, was a fiery preacher. A fiery preacher who used verbs like repent and nouns like you brood of vipers, you sons of snakes, spoke in frightening images about axes being laid to the root of the trees that are cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember that? A fiery preacher whose words melted more than one heart of stone, as they were intended to do. And then after all that fiery preaching of the law of God, every word which was true and every word which was necessary to melt the hardened hearts of men, then along comes Jesus. Then along comes Jesus, the friend of sinners, forgiving sinners, the worst of them, healing them, comforting, calling them. Jesus, who was already talking about his own death, about his own dying. And you imagine John thinking, where's the winnowing fork? Where's the unquenchable fire? Where's the surge of divine power by which he's going to purge this earth of all of its evils? You see, John's preaching was absolutely right. Christ will come, and he will purge the earth with his refining fire. But John's timing was wrong. He had momentarily forgotten that Jesus had a world to save before he would have a world to judge. He had to first come as the Prince of Peace, reconciling this whole sinful world unto his Father through the sacrifice of his own body and his own blood upon the cross before he would come at the end of time as King of Kings to sit in judgment of this world on his throne. Before he works to right all of the world's wrongs, which he will, our Lord Jesus had to work to make the sinner right with God, which he did. You see, he came first in his saving grace to occupy the cross of our sins. And he comes to us now, even in this present time, to dispense the forgiveness he won for us on the cross through the word that you hear and through the sacrament that you receive, giving you the very forgiveness that he won for you, preparing you for his coming as judge at end of time. First things first, he works to right the sinner's soul before he works to right the sinner's world. Both happen, but each happens in its own hour, each in its own day and time. And today is the day of our soul's salvation. So don't expect our Lord to give you what he hasn't promised to give you yet, here in life, here now, contrary to what many today preach, Contrary to what all too many believe, God has not promised material wealth to all of those who believe in him. He hasn't promised perfect physical health here and now to all who believe in him. He hasn't promised trouble-free and pain-free and sickness-free or struggle-free and strife-free lives in the here and now to those who believe in him. Indeed, to those who believe in him, he has said, in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, he says. Why? Because I have overcome this world. 
all of the things you desire will in due time, in good time, in the right time, they almost certainly will be yours. Remember, no miracle saved John the Baptist from the executioner's blade. But a miracle did provide him what the executioner's blade could not rob him of. It provided him not only with the forgiveness of his sins, but it provided him with eternal life. That trouble-free life that we all long for will have its day. But sometimes that day is not yet. Rather, that day is yet to be. But it will be. It'll be when he who came as our kin comes again in glory as our king. Until then, ours is not to wait and to doubt about it all. Like John in prison, ours is to be moved from doubt, which John was, to faith. That faith which, upon hearing the word of God, as John did, knows that whatever circumstances God allows in our lives, he is still working through it all to bring us, ultimately, the victory that he's promised. In closing, I suppose I should tell you what happened to Charles Dickens on that night. When in doubt and despondency, he found himself walking near the debtor's prison in which his father had spent so many of his childhood days. As he was moved by what he saw to think more and more about those around him and their plight, he thought, I know, what about a Christmas story? And his mind began to get into the very characters of the people that he passed by on that dark stretch of London's poorest streets, the folks struggling daily with the very fears and the doubts that he had once known, and that he was reminded and revisited of. But Christmas, he thought, is only three months away. It's going to have to be a, a brief story, a brief book, and brief it was. And as the ink flowed, Dickens would periodically pause to read what he had written, and as he did, he'd weep. Then he'd laugh, he'd write some more and read some more, and he'd weep, and then he'd laugh again. And the Christmas story with old Scrooge and Bob Cratchit, the anemic Tiny Tim on crutches was born, born in the midst of Dickens' doubt and Dickens' despair. A great story which has warmed hearts and homes and fireplace hearths for a century and a half and more. But as great a story as it is, it pales, dear friends. It pales in comparison to the greatest Christmas story ever told, which we'll hear again in all of its beauty in the days to come. The true, the timeless story of the birth of God for you, of God becoming poor for you, that through his poverty, exemplified on the cross, you might have all the riches of eternity and the universe that are his. Of God in the flesh buying us out of our debtor's prison, not with gold or silver, but with his very precious body and blood. Of God forgiving and overcoming our groundless doubts and our unfounded fears about the past, about the present, about the future, because we know he's our God. And he is in control. A timeless story, as we've so often sung in this Advent season and sang again this morning, of Emmanuel, God with us. 
who indeed is God for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Assured that our Lord is the one who draws near to save and confident that he hears our prayers, we now pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. We pray. For your church, O Lord, in this place and throughout the world, that made certain by the report of the prophets and apostles and by the wonders you perform among us in word and sacrament, we may rejoice in confidence that Christ Jesus is he who has come in the name of the Lord and gives life through his death upon the cross. 
Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Preserve your people in this Advent season, Lord, from the vices of doubt and impatience and grumbling. Strengthen our faith and fashion us through endurance that we may wait upon you in the coming of your day in quiet stillness and godly patience. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Bless all pastors of your church and the people who hear your word. Grant the pastor's lips faithful to your word and their calling, and grant your people ears to hear and discern your word through the competing voices of the world. Give us grace never to be offended by or ashamed of you. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who hunger, those seeking employment, those destitute, those without shelter, that you, Lord, would give them faith to cast their cares upon you, and that you would give your people everywhere a ready willingness to share their blessings with those in need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those suffering from sickness and disease, for the elderly and the homebound, that you would ease their suffering and grant them patient endurance. For those undergoing or preparing for treatment or surgery, including Gilbert Buchholz and Dennis Heinz and Fred Hine, and Sandra Larkin, mother of Susan Larkin, who prepares for bypass surgery this week, and Samuel Vasquez, father of Rachel Bestel and Stephanie Bestel. Guide the minds and hands of the physicians attending to them to bring about your desired outcome. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Receive our gratitude for the recent successful surgery performed on Paul Gruno and for the safe delivery of little Aaron Patrick Trenery, born Friday to Michelle and Neil Trenery, we give you thanks that you kept mother and child in well-being throughout. Protect Aaron Patrick until you deliver him safely into your eternal kingdom through the waters of holy baptism. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God of all comfort, comfort those who mourn. We pray today especially for Jeannie Eline and her family as they mourn the passing of Jeannie's uncle. Remind us always that you are God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who is with us to comfort in our day and time of need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who approach your table and there receive the body and blood of Christ Jesus this day that in the miracle of our Lord's continual advent in this holy sacrament, they would continually repent of all sins and cling to the forgiveness and life and salvation that our Lord there delivers. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Together with all those gone before us we have, who have died, trusting in the one who was to and who did come, Jesus the Christ, with them, we, the ransomed of the Lord, praise and honor your blessed name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now into your hands we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you.
is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, whose way John the Baptist prepared, proclaiming him the promised Messiah, the very Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and calling sinners, sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same, in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Upon you and give you peace. Amen. 